Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where we talk about stories that should be made into movies. I'm your host, Tim Malloy. With me this week is a very special guest you've heard on this podcast before, a return visitor, this time live and in person, Mark Ramsey, creator and host of Inside Star Wars, Inside Jaws, so many other things. Inside whatever's in my pocket. Inside. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I'm thrilled to be here, in person even. Welcome. Thank you for coming up. Oh, I'm thrilled. We're in Los Angeles. You drove up from San Diego? Mm-hmm. Nice. And you do all of this from San Diego? I do it all from San Diego. Well, I do all my part from San Diego. Then the audio uh, production, the sound design, is done remotely by uh, Jeff Schmidt, our fabulous sound designer. Fantastic. That sounded so pat the way I said fantastic. Like, it's not fantastic. It's really fantastic. The, fa- <laughs> the sound design is amazing. The sound design in this is so good. And even the opening of Inside Star Wars, the, s- the music that you're able to recreate that isn't John Williams but has such a John Williams feel. You know, it's so, uh, it's like, let's erect some big challenges. Let's start with music that sounds like John Williams, not only John Williams' music, but the music that sounds like Williams from Star Wars yeah. or, star- or Williams from Jaws. Just yeah. music that people basically don't know. Let's find music that sounds just like it but isn't because, of course, we can't use the real thing. Well, I mean, if you're my age, I, I, the, one of the first movies I ever saw in a theater was Star Wars, and I was probably mm-hmm. two. And just like the stirring that you get from those drums and from the sounds, and you really recreate that. And you also recreate the very weird, very specific sound design of Star Wars that feels very lived in and very familiar um, and kind of maybe even a little rusty, but also futuristic. Yeah, it's such a unique thing. And that was in, that was our intention. And the other thing I think that was our intention was to reproduce because people have forgotten yeah. what it was like to see Star Wars Episode Four in 1977. Most people hadn't weren't there. Yeah. So that was an experience that isn't duplicated when Solo comes out, right? You know, or when the next uh, edition, when Episode Nine comes out, you can't duplicate that experience because you've seen ten Star Wars movies before those. Many of them on, you know, DVD or streaming or even VHS back in the day. But there was an experience. I was there as a kid, like yeah. you, in that theater in 1977, and nobody had ever seen anything like it. And I try and recreate that in the series. The point you make in one of the early episodes about George Lucas kind of cribbing that from Kurosawa, the lived-in feel of the sets and the lived-in feel of all of the vehicles and everything else, is so crucial, and I never realized that's where it came from. Yeah. It yeah, he, 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 he picked up what he could, f- like all of us, you know. We, I mean, the, entire of in- the entirety of Inside Star Wars is, you know, a, a vamp on the creation of George Lucas all those years ago. Uh, he picked up an awful lot of things from the, those who had come before him, including Kurosawa, including Flash Gordon, yeah. and lots of comics and uh, other inspirations as well. Another thing I love about this story, and you tell the entire story of the origin of Star Wars and really the origin of George Lucas, the mm-hmm. same way you did with Inside Jaws, you also told the origin story of Steven Spielberg. Um, you see how something that starts off kind of bad and kind of rickety in places really gets better and better and better as it goes on and then becomes this just legend and this massive part of our pop culture. I thought that was just really nicely done. To, to the fact that you show him struggling with the drafts mm-hmm. for like two years. Yeah. And, and we try to be really vivid in it too. Yeah. You know, what it was like sitting in that room with those three desk doors that he has as, as a, three, three room doors that he has as a desk, um, just being utterly bored out of his mind and incapacitated for most of two years writing, yeah. uh, we really tried hard to kind of 
bring up, bring back that experience of what it is to write something like that for someone who doesn't feel it's natural. And by the way, that includes pretty much anyone who writes. Yeah. Um, what it feels to audition for a role that 500 other actors are auditioning for, what it feels to get the role you were convinced you wouldn't get. Um, all of those feelings we try to uh, convey in this because what they all relate to, and you indicated it, is that you know, struggle is what all this stuff is about. This is struggle. It's all struggle. Yeah. You know, every element of inside Star Wars is crap until it's written down and mm -hmm. then recorded and then woven into this wonderful audio tapestry, and then hopefully it's good. The same is true of every movie. Some work out better than others. Star Wars worked out particularly well. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the comic book that they did of Lucas's very early notes on Star Wars, but it was a comic book based on his very early vision, and it's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's just awful. There, you see character names that uh, will eventually evolve into the names we know, but it's just a really turgid, bad piece of writing. Mm -hmm. But it evolves into something that we all just know. It's so familiar to all of us. And one of the points you make is that these writers weren't sure how to say these words because they were so new. And so, I'm sorry. The actors. These actors weren't sure how to say these words because they were so new yeah. and different. And these phrases that didn't exist that are all commonplace to us now. And you just imagine like a Sir Alec Guinness trying to talk about the force or something. And I think it explains some of the weird line readings in Star Wars. <laughs> Th there are moments on the Falcon where Han Solo will say things and it sounds like he's kind of like reading a cue card there, but no one's ever talked about like a hyperdrive before. Well, no one knows what it is. No one knows how to <laughs> say it. And it's written in an awkward way. And, and, uh, and um, there's no two ways around that. And that's why Lucas's primary direction was... Faster and better. That was yeah. what, you know, if in doubt, faster and better. Yeah. And it is true that when you read that stuff faster, it goes by quicker, so all your confusion is over faster. So <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> in a way, what Lucas did was played a Jedi mind trick on the audience by having the actors read this stuff faster and better, and in so doing, uh, it goes by. <laughs> Goes by before you know you're confused. There's a toss-off line about the Kessel Run, and then you know, 20 some years later, there'll be an entire movie about that. That's right. Isn't that interesting how that works out? More than 20 years. Now you can bet there's going to be a Kessel franchise, right? Man, well, when we first pitched ideas for what to talk about on this episode, because obviously we talk about stories that should be made into movies, um, it seemed like you've already done the story of Star Wars. You've already done that, and we could just like with all of your podcasts, you could pretty much cut this down and film it. It would be a very sure. good series. But we It's built that way. It's intended to be a, um, an, an audio movie is what it is. So people should go listen to that, and someone should buy that and put it on the air and cast all of these actors. I would watch... We would welcome that. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that. Um, but I would also... There's a lot of breakout stories, and one mm. that I've always wanted to see is the Marsha Lucas story and her role in Star Wars as the editor mm -hmm. um, in paring down some of George Lucas's great ideas and weeding out some of the less um, the less sellable ideas. I mean, the less good... I'm trying to not say the less good ideas. Um, cutting things down, making it move faster. The more audience-friendly ideas is what she, she... Her contribution is to make things work better for an audience of real people. Yeah. And I'm tensing up a little bit because I, I love Star Wars and I love the old original Star Wars so much. I don't want to make it sound like I don't because I, th I think all fans can sort of criticize little things within it, but it's out of love. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm coming from. And that's mm -hmm. why I'm being hesitant to say less good. Mm -hmm. But the other idea we talked about 
that I think is absolutely genius is just the Carrie Fisher story. Carrie Fisher is flat out the most fascinating character in the whole story, yeah. uh, in part because she's one of the most fascinating characters there has ever been yeah. in Hollywood. Um, if you look at the entire scope of her story, much of which hasn't been reported yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, there really is that she has her own, you know, her, her own uh, biographical books that she's written. I've only read Princess Diarist. I haven't read the others. But um, someday there will be this kind of grand tome that yeah. summarizes the full scope of Carrie Fisher, and it's going to be an amazing book. Um, Inside Jaws was really about the becoming of Steven Spielberg, while Inside Star Wars is about the becoming of George Lucas, it also has this thread of Carrie Fisher that's really one of the kind of emotional centerpieces of the story. Yeah. Because we're talking about someone who is, you know, the daughter of uh, a legendary, you know, stage and screen star uh, 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 Debbie Reynolds, yeah. and uh, the notorious uh, cheater <laughs> Eddie Fisher. America's cad. America's cad, who left, <laughs> I love that phrase, I'm glad I didn't make it up, but I'm glad I could use it. Um, who, yeah, America's cad, uh, who left uh, uh, Debbie Reynolds for Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. So she's, she's brought into the world in the crucible of this utter chaos, and her life works out in the long run just as you would expect it would when that's where you begin, which is it's just a meandering mess all the way through, but it's dotted with so much amazing brilliance and, 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 and talent and um, entertainment and so many stories. And she was really so gifted in so many ways. Yeah. Um, as a writer, yeah. uh, I make the point in uh, one of the episodes you haven't heard yet that uh, uh, her riff on um, the, the hair, which, I, which she called the, the buns of Navarone, I did hear that. It's wonderful the way she gets that haircut. Yeah, yeah. The Her the buns, style. the buns of Navarone, which is her phrase, which is great. By the way, if there were a shoot this now, Carrie yeah. Fisher, it would be the story of Carrie Fisher, uh, uh, Carrie Fisher's perspective on Star Wars, and Buns of Navarone would be the title. <laughs> well, let's do these. That's actually our last. Usually our last. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our last section. So. Can we start? Can we just dive into how you would do this? Sure. If you told the Carrie Fisher story, we always look for comps. Like, this is this meets this. And obviously, it's Star Wars meets something else. What, what is it? How would you pitch I, this? I, you know, this is really awkward, but mm -hmm. I would say one angle is kind of, you know, it's Star Wars meets Mr. Smith goes to Washington. You know, this kind of wide-eyed, starry-eyed. I mean, Carrie was a baby actor. She was 19 years old. She yeah. was essentially in 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 uh, art school in London yeah. when she did this audition she had done uh, hairspray a small role in hairspray that was about it and in fact she didn't really want to be an actress and, and which is of course why she became an actress that's the, the trajectory and um, she's uh, determined not to be an actress because she's seen what the industry did to her it mom. just wrecked her family yeah. it wrecked it wrecked every yes and when her dad left, of course, her mom's situation changed immeasurably, and that didn't make things nice. But her grandmother was difficult, her mother was difficult. It was just all very difficult. Mm. Um, but, you know, she was drawn to it, uh, yeah. like a moth to a flame. And uh, so I think mm. her perspective on that, uh, you know, how she came into that as a 19-year-old, you know, young, single, 19-year-old, uh, 
I mean, it really yeah. begins there. How does a 19-year-old see the experience of making this one weird, huge movie? Huge, by the way, because her role was huge. Yeah. Um, because the movie itself was kind of a low-budget affair. Um, but well, she's going to London to make this huge movie. That's a big deal, even if she's flying coach. <laughs> and she has no idea if she's going there to make some B-movie piece of garbage. I don't think she has any indication that this is going to be the biggest movie to date. Well, she kind of hoped it wouldn't be in the sense that she didn't want the hair to outlive her. <laughs> she didn't want the hair to outlive 1977, quite frankly, and it, of course it did. And then she had to contend with the bikini later. The next thing we always talk about is why now, and I think there's a lot of reasons for why now. I'll give you my reasons sure. for why now. The day after Trump's inauguration, when we had the Women's March, my wife was like, we have to go to this. And I was kind of like, well, will they want me there? It was like the inner three-year-old boy who doesn't like Princess Leia because she's a girl. I was like, well, they want me there. Isn't this kind of like a women's thing? Should I go? Um, and of course, we went, and of course, it was amazing. And of course, there were thousands of men there, too. Um, but I was just blown away by how much Carrie Fisher imagery there was and how mm -hmm. many signs of signs with pictures of Princess Leia and slogans about the Force and just seeing Star Wars becoming the symbol of rebellion and the symbol of rising up against all kinds of oppression. And it was just really interesting to see how, how much of a symbol she had become and how much she had gone from being this confused 19-year-old who didn't know what she was getting into to an icon over the passage of time and over just the incredible influence of this movie, it was really powerful. I was kind of like, I wish you told me this march was going to have Star Wars there. I totally would have <laughs> been much more enthusiastic. But it was, that's when I realized, maybe I'm just a dumb dude, but that's when I, that's when it put it in perspective for me. Like, this is mm -hmm. how people see this fight. This is a fight against the Empire. Um, yeah. And... I think a lot of people can take Star Wars and take it to mean what it means to them and can take Carrie Fisher to mean what she means to them. Princess Leia certainly represents for, I think, everyone just standing up against oppression and standing up against any obstacle, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's changed for many different audiences over different decades and will continue to change. That I think that's true. I think all of that, I, I didn't know that, and that's really interesting, and that doesn't surprise me in the least. Also, the thing is that uh, Princess Leia has been a part of every single one of those women's lives either directly, indirectly, through a partner, through a parent, yeah. through themselves, yeah. for all of their lives, yeah. for the most part. And I don't think that should be discounted either. There's been this kind of force there, no pun intended, yeah. that has shown the way for them and for the rest of us too, because she didn't lead just women. She yeah. led men too yeah. in their fight against tyranny. Um, I think what I would add to that is we're in a time where, and I look around and I see... Uh, with a few exceptions popping up on television now, but I look around and I see that um, if I see one more zombie movie, mm -hmm. not a comedy, mm -hmm. but I mean a straight zombie apocalyptic movie, one more take on Walking Dead, one more Walking Dead series, sorry, Walking Dead. <laughs> um, I don't really want to know what Rick's doing yeah. in the special movies on AMC. Yeah. Um, I long ago lost hope, just as the characters did. Right. And... Now is a time, I think, when hope is exactly what people need. Um, the reason why Lucas made this movie in the first place was yeah. because in the ether was Vietnam. In the ether was the makings of Apocalypse Now. Uh, in the ether were all the movies that we revere from the 70s, all of which were fairly dark and serious for the most part. Yeah. And Georgia looked around and said, 
where are the fairy tales that yeah. our kids, where, where are the fairy tales that our kids have that I had when I was a kid? Yeah. I had Flash Gordon. Where's today's Flash Gordon? Where is that stuff that just designed to make people feel good, to give them hope for the future? Where are those stories? I don't see them on the screen. Yeah. And that was why he made that movie. And it seems to me that when you tie that aspect yeah. into the story of Carrie Fisher, you have hidden, you have hit both notes. You know, really, really strongly, I think. So that, I think, is the reason why it's a story worth telling now. And by the way, that story is a different story from the one that drives the next edition of Star Wars, right? How so? Well, the next edition of Star Wars is part of the franchise extension yeah. for the Disney Corporation, which right. they have every right to do. They pay dearly for it. <laughs> um, and uh, God bless them. Uh, but, you know, clearly they're doing it to make good movies, but they're also doing it to make good, you know, franchise uh, 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 pots of gold. <laughs> and ultimately, what we're talking about here is a movie that's about, there's a, there's, there's a deeper theme to it. Yeah. There's a deeper theme. And it's not the theme we've seen reflected in eight previous Star Wars franchise movies. It's a, it's a deeper theme about, um, about uh, it's a fresh story. Yeah. Even though it's wrapped in a familiar story. Well, it's also cool, kind of like Game of Thrones. It's a cool critique of the fairy tale. I mean, because you always have the princess in the tower. And as you point out in one of the episodes, you know, the princess is in the tower waiting to be rescued. And then as soon as they show up to rescue her, she's like, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? I mean, her first line is wisecracking, and then she starts completely kicking ass. Mm -hmm. And the reason she's in prison in the first place is that she was kicking ass. So it's a very nice twist on the old tradition of, please save me from this dragon. And I address that specifically yeah. in the end. I make rep the whole dragon metaphor is is referenced in the end because the dragon and the Death Star are the same thing. Yeah. And the Death Star's not out there. The Death Star's right in here. Yeah, it does seem like this did change the way that probably boys watching and probably girls watching looked at female heroines because of the humanity she imbued it with. She wasn't a perfect character. She wasn't a helpless character. She was a character who had doubts and weaknesses and worries and neuroses um, and still just did her job and got things done. Mm -hmm. which I think is so relevant for people who are struggling today. You don't have to be perfect all the time. I mean, you don't have to mm -hmm. do everything flawlessly. You have to just generally be pointed in the right direction and slog through it. Right. And, and that's so much to me what Star Wars is about. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And that and, and you know, the, the fundamental idea of trusting in yourself, yeah. not in what you see or what you're told or what others tell you. I mean, there's not a 12-year-old kid who doesn't find solace in the message that one of these days, all these people telling me what to do, I'm going to have to trust in myself, and that's going to be good enough yeah. to defeat the, the Death Star. I mean, who doesn't? That's why the crowd stood up and cheered at that point. I don't know what the dialogue was after that. I didn't hear it in the room, Yeah. nor did anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing we do is talk about key scenes and the moments that you would need to have in your movie in your Carrie Fisher story. Um, I know in the podcast you have to fictionalize some things. You have to use mm -hmm. your imagination based on your extensive research. But what are the seven scenes that you can either pull from reality or lightly fictionalize from reality? Well, um, it doesn't have to be seven. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how well I count. I'm going to have to go up to the whiteboard. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you about some of the ones I put in there, which were put in there very deliberately. 
yeah. um, because they were colorful, because they were representative, and because they told part of the story which would come to matter. Uh, one of the first ones I tell about Carrie is coming off a plane with her mother, mm -hmm. with all the paparazzi surrounding them, just at the midst when her father has left her mother. Mm. And she's an infant. She's a toddler. She's like two years old. And uh, there she is in, in the presence of that madness. I think that's kind of a formative moment. I tell a story about uh, that's in her book, The Princess Diarist, about her uh, sitting with her on her grandmother's lap as her grandmother is asking her mother for tickets to Annie, I think it was. Mm. And uh, her, mo her mom can't, for whatever, Annie's sold out. She can't get tickets. And her grandmother says something along the lines of, time was when Debbie Reynolds was somebody Oh, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the word. And then, of course, the abysmal relationships with men that were the hallmark of her of her mother's life and eventually her life. Yeah. It was almost as if she knew she was destined for that future yeah. um, and uh, made no attempt to circumvent that destiny. Uh, so from there, I tell the story of the being in the Warren Beatty movie Shampoo. Oh, yeah. Uh, where she had a small role. And that was just kind of a fun funny story that had to do with her feelings about her appearance, which really run throughout her story because, as we all know, everybody has feelings about their appearance. And Carrie was, you know, Carrie was was beautiful but not classic in her beauty, right? Well, she's like a child in that movie. I mean, Absolutely. she's so young. She's like in her tennis outfit. And you have a, a point where someone's asking Warren Beatty, the director, does she wear a bra or not? And he's like, where's the bra? Take off the bra, put on the bra. Put Did that actually happen? Yes. And uh, th not only does she wear the bra or not, but is she now wearing the bra or not? He can't uh, tell. He's asking, is, is this with or without? To, to just have somebody stare at you that coldly and calculatedly in assessing your looks is just awful. Well, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's where we are. Um, but that's, that's where it starts. And then it goes to uh, the audition for uh, Star Wars, which was actually an audition both for Carrie, the movie Carrie, and Star Wars. So uh, Because De Palma and Lucas are casting at the same time. That's right. They're casting at the same time in the same place, and Lucas did none of the talking, and De Palma did all of the talking. Incredible. And it's just the thought that if you think of those two movies, just knowing what we know about them now, <laughs> that they were cast at the same time in the same place with the same actors yeah. running through for both... <laughs> You know, I mean, any one of the actors from either of those films could have been in the other film if things had worked differently. Travolta would have been such a great Han Solo. Either that or you would have been an awful <laughs> Han Solo. I'm not sure which. I think they chose the right guy. I think they chose the right guy in retrospect, yes. Um, and then uh, from there we go to, um, uh, she gets the, the job. Um, and it's fairly, the information on that is fairly thin. So I built a pretty... Uh, Carrie-centric, a Carrie-representative. What I tried to do in all of these things where I was recreating things yeah. was consider the character that I was dealing with and write it the way it would happen based on what we know about that person. Yeah. And the way I wrote it was, you know, Carrie gets the call. Carrie's waiting for the call. She knows it's not going to come. She gets the call from the agent. Um, they want you, he says, and she said they do, and he said to lose 10 pounds, which they did ask her to do. Yeah. And... Uh, and then, of course, you're, you're Princess Leia, and she runs out into the street, and you know, that's just a great Hollywood scene. And I think it reflects kind of, uh, and again, I don't have firsthand experience of this, yeah. but I've heard enough stories and I've seen enough, you know, of this to know that auditioning is pretty much pure hell. Yeah. 
And the idea that you're going to get an audition is a remote possibility at best when there are hundreds of people before and after you. Yeah. And that the feeling of getting that job, especially when it's a part that big, it, it, can't, it can't be understood by mere mortals. Well, you mentioned her being sent to a fat farm, which yes. is such a brutal idea now when people are very sensitive and conscious of not saying things like that. But that was a real thing. I mean, when I was a kid, I can remember being worried that I was going to get sent to a fat farm because <laughs> I was a fat little kid. And I was like, what if they send me off? There's a Laverne and Shirley episode where they go to a fat farm and it just looks like they're being tortured. That, that was real? I mean, that happened? Yes. She went to, and uh, by the way, that's her term. That's not my <laughs> term. Uh, that's her term. That's in her, her book. She I think if I remember right, she was there with a few, uh, She among the famous people there was like Dear Abby. Dear Abby was there with her or something <laughs> at the Fat Farm uh, when she was there. But, you know, as, uh, as uh, the outcome of that, which is my writing mixed with hers, is that um, she, she uh, came out, she um, came out uh, um, uh, with a, um, uh, what was it, full of, I can't remember exactly what I wrote now, but with a fuller face. That's her part of the writing. Mm. She said, my face was fuller. She didn't lose any pounds. Wow. She probably gained some weight. Did they think the hamburger buns, headphones, I realize I'm wearing headphones right now and I totally look like Princess Leia. <laughs> this is a total Princess Leia <laughs> <laughs> homage. Um, <laughs> when Did they do that, that hairstyle in part to make her face more flattering, like they thought that she would photograph better? That was the intention. Uh, but they, you know, it's, you know, the process, they go through iteration after iteration and they keep, you know, that's the job of the director is to stand there and say yes, no, a million times a day for months on end. Because they thought she had a round face. Well, she, I, you know, to my eye, it made it rounder. I think headphones yeah, make, your, make face your face rounder. rounder for sure. That look did make her face rounder. And I think uh, I can only imagine what it was like to look up at the screen 30 foot high and see your round face staring back at you. It must have been uncomfortable. But none of the rest of us noticed it, did we? And none of no. the rest of us cared. It was, her face was, <laughs> her face managed to uh, sell the biggest movie ever. <laughs> That's so right, and still does. nothing wrong there. So next scenes, I mean, she ends up sort of developing a crush on Harrison Ford? Yes, I mean, she basically said, I'm 19 years old, I've never, you know, I've never had an affair with anybody in all my 19 years, as if that's a long time for a 19-year-old. <laughs> um, but um, it's going to change now. Yeah. And the man was just, I guess, bewitching yeah. at the time. He was, I think, about 14 years older than she was. Married. Uh, definitely married with yeah. kids. And, uh, you know, a struggling actor uh, and a carpenter at the same time. Yeah. Um, and uh, he just had that way about him. And I think what attracted her to him is what attracts all the rest of us yeah. to him over the years and why he is who he is and has been. And she talked about her attraction to him in The Princess Diaries. Right. So what is her arc over this point? I mean, where is this arc going? She's going from a lot of self-doubt and a lot of worry um, to somewhere. Where is that somewhere? Well, I think the, the somewhere, you kind of boiled it down earlier when you said all of a sudden she's this icon for kind of women's empowerment and women's leadership and women's role in, in, in fighting oppressors. Yeah. And that's something that she never expected. Yeah. And she embraced it just as she embraced 
you know, all the trappings that came along with being Princess Leia. Yeah. Um, but to me, that's in, what's also interesting to me throughout that arc is that she had such tremendous troubles. I mean, yeah. she talks about those troubles. She talks about the rehab. She talks about the drugs and the alcohol. She talks about electroshock therapy. Yeah. Um, uh, she talks about these things that, and and it's interesting to put that alongside. Well, wait a minute. Here's a woman who had everything. This is the old story, right? Yeah. Here's a woman who had everything. She was Princess Leia. She is the woman on the signs at the Women's March. Yeah. And yet, she had troubles with alcohol and drugs. She you know, had to go in for electroconvulsive uh, therapy, and yeah. and she struggled right to the very end with these things. There were uh, uh, some uh, elements of drugs in her system mm. um, upon her death. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was a, these weren't any surprise to the people who knew her, yeah. but they may have been a surprise to the rest of us who didn't. And I think that's the important that you can have all this and still struggle because that's what it is to be alive. Yeah, she's inspiring to me that way too. I mean, I quit drinking about seven years ago and when you quit, you kind of go through this thing of like, well, wait, I'll never do anything cool or fun again. Like, I'll never go outside if I'm not, like, going to parties and whatever. And then you sort of look at all these people who you really admire and think are great who manage to have really interesting, exciting lives without alcohol, without drugs. Right. And you realize, like, wait, this might actually be okay. And when you look at one of your childhood heroes doing that, I think it is really inspiring. You know, occasionally people will fall, and occasionally people have to get back up. But to see someone like her have this struggle and bravely fight the struggle was helpful to me, and I think helpful to a lot of other people, too. So and I she was public about it. Yeah, I think the fact that she was public about it was really, was really great. I mean, if this can befall Princess Leia, it just shows we're all human. And, and think about what her legacy is. Her yeah. legacy isn't, um, I died on a plane, or I failed uh, to fight off drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Her legacy is that I am still the icon yeah. that you thought I was since 1977, and I'm at that Women's March, and I'll be at the Women's March next year and the year after that, well after I'm gone. That's her legacy. That's her arc. I'm sorry to be so corny, but, I mean, Ben Kenobi gets struck down by Darth Vader, but he lives on forever, and she's struck down, but I think she lives on forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the difference is that she actually does live on forever. He lives on in the world of Star Wars. Yeah. She lives on in our world. Yeah. And which is more valuable? Okay, before I cry, uh, <laughs> we're going to go on. <laughs> um, Sorry. We're going to go on to... Um, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, let me just, uh, as an aside, Tim, that's why this is worth doing. Yeah. That's why this podcast is worth doing. That's why your podcast is worth doing. That's why Star Wars is worth doing. That's why Inside Star Wars... I don't want to do just a insider's view. I don't want to do a, a director's commentary on the film. Right. I want to tell a story that t has a truth in it that's bigger than the truth you thought you knew from the original story. Yeah. Or that waves the original truth in your face and says, don't forget this is why you like this to begin with. Yeah. That's why this is worth doing. Yeah. That's why any story is worth telling and receiving. And I just think it's so beautiful that this story that we all know has so many great stories behind it. Mm -hmm. And hers is just one of them. Yes. Hers is my favorite, I'm really glad you brought it in and thought to, to raise it out of all the stories. But it's actually more inspiring than the, than the movie that's on screen. I mean, the yes. life that she had. Because is, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
So the next thing we always talk about is development. How would you make this? Um, you should write it, obviously. <laughs> um, maybe I hope you I will. just did. <laughs> um, who could play Carrie Fisher? All right. So this is where I need my phone because I've got my notes here. But um, so I gave this some thought, and you will have other ideas as well. So I want to hear what your ideas are too. But um, again, I was trying to be sensitive to the ages of these various people at that time. Um, so here's my idea. Yeah. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, God, that's amazing. That's Isn't perfect. that perfect? Yeah. We can stop there. <laughs> Maybe we should, because mine is nowhere near as good. What'd you have? Well, I've always thought Alison Brie had kind of a resemblance to her. Mm -hmm. And I keep, I think Alison Brie is really good and is like waiting for the thing that makes her just explode. Um, she's probably... I think she could age up or down. Like, mm -hmm. I think she's probably 10 years older or something. Um, but I think she could pull it off. Mm -hmm. But Claire Grace Moretz is way better because yeah. she's, like, exactly the right age. Yeah. There's also a resemblance there. And she's a great actor. Yeah. 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 Okay. Winner. I love it. <laughs> Done. Let's, let's get her on the phone. Um, if she's listening, call us. <laughs> so did you want to hear a few others for other sure. characters? Yeah. I only have a couple because I, you know... Oh, I, how can I leave out? we got to get Ewan McGregor back. Okay. <laughs> is he playing? Well, he's playing who he should be playing. He's playing Alec Guinness? Of course he is. <laughs> he's he's got to be so aged better. up a little bit. But he always, he, he always says he's open to returning to the role. Well, he's only going to return to it older. It's so meta. I love it. It is. It's so meta for him to play Alec Guinness. I think he might actually like, because Alec Guinness was notoriously grumpy. Right. And he's grumpy throughout this podcast. And uh, I think uh, Ewan can play grumpy. So I didn't even have that written down. Um, Harrison Ford, uh, Liam Hemsworth. Okay, Liam Hemsworth is Harrison. Okay. Is yeah. he the right age? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. There's got to be a Hemsworth the right age. Well, <laughs> we get to redo Alden Aaron, right? Because, I mean, you can't have him do it again. You can't have all the Star Wars characters play the actors. Maybe right. you can. Maybe it's too weird. <laughs> I kind of, I mean, I would go, no, 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 I would no, no. see it. I, yeah, you could, yeah, you know what? I, that didn't even occur to me. That's where Solo is in kind of my portfolio of Star Wars. It yeah. doesn't occur to me. Right. But uh, yes, you make a good point. That's such a good idea. Let's, let's think, let's, let's uh, think up market. So I have one more. Yeah. Um, George Lucas, Daniel Radcliffe. Wow. <laughs> That's so, that's that weird? so excellent. <laughs> These are so excellent. Oh my god! Can you come back and do this every week? Can you just <laughs> as we go through the same four actors every week? We're like Daniel Day Lewis should play. Da, 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 da. Uh, Can no, you just no, come no. in and that? These are fantastic. So there, I've given you four. That's all I had down, by the way. Oh my god, that's that's the crucial ones. Yeah, and maybe like one person to come in and be De Palma just for like a cameo. Oh, I, I'd be. Yeah, you got me there. Yeah, the, the, the ages don't even work. For some reason, Paul Thomas Anderson just popped into my mind. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I just want to see Paul Thomas Anderson do that. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, they'd have to totally age him down. They'd have to make him look totally different. I would like it. I think the thing, too, that you know is that doesn't come up only in these actors, but I was feeling it as I was writing the series is that um, this this is really playing the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, you'll hear that the part that's about the casting and the making of the movie really plays very light, very fun, almost comedic. In some yeah. cases, it is comedic. Yeah. 
I said to the folks at Wondery, who've been really terrific in ushering this show forward, yeah. that it, it's like um, what if Tim Burton were to make Ed Wood about Star Wars, this is what it would sound like. Yeah, God, that's <laughs> such a good pitch. That's such a good pitch. I mean, the Ed Wood of Star Wars, but it's actually a good movie. Well, let's, like let's call it a successful movie. Unlike <laughs> Plan 9, about it. oh, shots fired at Star Wars. <laughs> Wait, are you are you saying Star Wars is no, not no, a no, good? No, 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 no. I'm saying Ed Wood, $5 million box office right. opening, maybe not the point of reference we want to use. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. But Ed Wood's oh. a terrific movie. Right. Yeah, that's good, that's good comps. I mean, I think Star Wars has a bigger built-in audience than Plan 9 from Outer Space. That is... <laughs> so... <laughs> you think that? Are you sure of that? I, I think mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, we should check. We should go on Box Office Mojo and see which did better. Figuring There's no question about that. We should do it in 1977 dollars, just to be fair. And don't do it in black and white. That's the <laughs> other piece of advice. And the last thing is, what do we call this thing? You already gave us a title at the very beginning, Buns of Navarone. I had two titles. That's the, that's the pithier one, Buns of Navarone, which is, you know, Carrie's words. And Carrie is taken by that other movie we mentioned. Yeah, and she makes that reference. She thought, you know, she made that joke. She made that joke in the book. I doubt she made that joke in the room that, hey, wouldn't it be fun <laughs> if you had Carrie playing Carrie in a movie called Carrie? <laughs> I doubt she made that in the room, but it seems so in character that she would yeah. and then regretted immediately <laughs> that I thought I had to put that in. But um, the other uh, title that I had is the, is the way Harrison Ford described Carrie. Mm. Uh, this one is much less pithy. And that is, the eyes of a doe and the balls of a samurai. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was such a great thing to say. And it, it did, uh, the way you put it is like, that's how he communicated affection. Yes. Samurai doe, I don't know how you. <laughs> 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 yeah. Fantastic. Buns of Navarone is my number one. I mean, I don't know why someone just to, just to, Buns of Navarone is great. I don't know why someone doesn't just make the Princess Diarist, just adapt the Princess Diarist. It would be incredible, and it's it's that simple. I mean, you've got somebody doing the voiceover from the book. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a really easy way to do it. But I think they should definitely use the frame you're giving here. I think you should just do it. Can you just go adapt the Princess Diarist? I mean, yes. Let me make some calls uh, now <laughs> and see what I can do. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you being here. I love talking to you. I could talk My to pleasure. you for 17 hours, but I know you have other stuff to do. Everyone, go check out Inside Star Wars. When is it available? It's available now uh, uh, to subscribe to, just the teaser. The, sh the series launch is actually on May 29th, uh, Wednesday, May 29th. The first two episodes come out, and then every week thereafter. And we have a special surprise at the end. We have a, a bonus interview with Brian J. Johnson, the guy who wrote the biography of George Lucas, Lucas A Life, which is total fun. That's at the end. Incredible. I've listened to four of the five episodes. It is so good. It makes you just, if you've fallen out of love with Star Wars, you'll fall back in love with Star Wars. It's absolutely excellent. The way that you open the entire thing up, just recreating the first day of shooting Star Wars, uh, filled me with feelings I can't even convey. It was like getting to see behind the curtain of these people who I'd loved since I was a small child and see what they were actually doing and to feel much closer to them and appreciate what they did much more. It's mm -hmm. just, it's a beautiful piece of biography. I'm, I'm so glad you think that. That's, 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 uh, I mean, it was just uh, uh, typical of the experience, which is the first day, it's a disaster, nothing's going right, what have I gotten myself into, but eventually it's going to be great. And what a great lesson there is in that. Yeah. Mark Ramsey, thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Real pleasure. 